back to the David Glenn Show. I believe, Darren Vaught, there are about 7 billion or so people on planet Earth. I think there's only one who has written books focusing on both Alabama football and Duke football. His name is Lewis Bowling. I mean, how many people could there be? Books on Alabama football and Duke football, Devils Against the Tide, this Saturday in Atlanta in week one of college football. That Lewis Bowling, one in seven million, you might say, joins us live in 30 minutes. And best I know, there's only going to be one person out of seven billion doing the radio play-by-play as the Panthers host the Pittsburgh Steelers this Thursday night at Bank of America Stadium. All 32 teams will be in action. It is the preseason finale for everybody. The cut down from 90 all the way to 53 is this Saturday in the aftermath of these games. That one in a million or seven million is Jim Zoki, normally next to our friend Mick Mixon in the radio booth with Mick on the TV side in the preseason. Jim Zoki gets to bump over to play-by-play duties. Zoke, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Always fun, DG. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. We'll ask you about your play-by-play role in a bit, but let's start here. David Tepper once owned a chunk of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that is considered by many I know one of the healthiest cultures in the entire NFL and certainly one of the more consistent, uh, consistently successful winners in the NFL. From your vantage point, what parts of the Pittsburgh Steelers' way has David Tepper tried to bring over this last year plus as the owner of the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I would think the number one thing, and he talked about it at his opening press conference when he took over the team, is is patience. And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh obviously well known for not changing head coach yeah. very often and front office structure. And so he has retained and, you know, kept Marty Herney as GM and Ron Rivera as the head coach. And, uh, you know, you always want to do better and improve. And no one's happy about missing out in the playoffs last year. But, yeah, to his credit, you know, he's come in and he's been an observer and he's learned and uh, and listened to these guys and, and bought in. And, uh, you know, I think at this point, in terms of the football side of things, not the, the marketing or stadiums and all that stuff, from a football standpoint, he's done exactly what he said he would, which is uh, preaching patience. We know that Cam Newton and other key players will not be on the field on Thursday night. Uh, besides, let's say, no major injuries, what would be the Panthers' most important goals on Thursday against the Steelers, you know, in a game that a lot of folks just chalk up as mostly meaningless? Yeah, I think, as you said, the starters won't play, so there won't be any further starting five offensive line evaluation, which was you know something I think they'd like to have seen improve. So now you focus on the backups, you know, will Will Greer or, Kyle Allen kind of take a step forward. I don't think anyone can make a seismic shift in a fourth preseason game. But, you know, can they step up and show a little bit more than they've shown in this preseason? Uh, could there be some separation, that backup running back? I think Reggie Bonifant has been the guy uh, out of Louisville uh, two years ago, ahead of Jordan Scarlett, the draft pick, and Elijah Holyfield, the undrafted rookie out of Georgia. And then, obviously, it's a lot of when you get down to those last couple spots and Marty Herney, I talked to him yesterday, said there's three or four spots up for grab out of 53 as far as what they're looking at right now. You know, those are special team spots. Those are special team spots first, and then those are backup linebackers, your sixth receiver, your last running back, your last defensive back. So those guys have to be good special teams players that can fill out and be able to play a little position football when needed. Cam Newton now has the most famous left foot since a Daniel Day-Lewis movie from the 1990s entitled My Left Foot. Uh, I saw some cheers 
when the walking boot was off this past weekend after the injury on Thursday night. I saw more cheers when he was at least out there with the trainers as his teammates were practicing earlier this week. You mentioned we're not going to see him on the field on Thursday, but what is the best way to summarize just the belief that he'll be, what, both ready to go and at or near 100% on September 8th when it's the Rams coming to Bank of America Stadium in a game that actually matters? That's what it looks like. It's, it's what Coach Rivera said today, uh, that he expects Cam to be ready to play against the Rams in that opening game. You know, what is 100%? I don't know. He should be close to it. Whatever it is, uh, he's fine. And that, the full expectation is uh, that he's ready to play. So he kind of dodged the bullet with what looked like at first could be a serious foot injury and luckily was not. In conversations about the next collective, bar- collective bargaining agreement, we're reading that the NFL owners are pushing for a longer regular season in exchange for, among other things, fewer preseason games. What is your read? I guess the other, the alternative would be the, the owners asking for an expanded playoff, which would add money to their pockets. What, are you, what is your bird's-eye view of feels unlikely that the players in a violent sport want to agree to putting their bodies at risk more than 16 times? Nah, I agree with you. And I think you know that, first of all, in this, you know, as you look at uh, Andrew Luck's retirement, uh, you know, the health of these players, if you're going to be preaching the health of these players, you're going to add two more games that are tackle football, not preseason where the starters are standing on the sidelines. So that's going to be pushed, uh, a tough one to push. And I think, I don't know what the appetite is for that, just to water down another sport. I mean, we've seen so many sports where you extend regular seasons and you just water it down, like with the NBA. You know, they're talking about going the other direction and, and going back the other way with the fewer yeah. regular season games to get better quality games and less LeBron sitting out on back-to-backs. You know, you're going to have more and more players sitting out trying to you know just make the playoffs and stay healthy and just survive 18 games. So I, I think it's difficult. I think there's room to expand another round of the playoffs. They had a couple teams, not a full round, but add, you know, add some more teams to the playoffs. That can be done. And I think there needs to be, you know, even if it's a matter of losing a few bucks, at least cut it down to three from four preseason games. You know, two probably would be great, but I think people would begin with three as being reasonable and try to make your money back in other ways, like more postseason or something like that. For most of NFL history, I believe, there has been the gradual cuts and in recent years, the NFL has kind of gone to, like, I, I picture whether or not I made the middle school basketball team. Like, it was, your name was either on that list posted in the hallway at school or it wasn't. Like, one cut. We're going from 90 to 53 plus the practice squad. Do you have a sense, Jim, from the player's perspective or the coach's perspective? Like, is this the better way? Because I remember in previous formats – if you were cut, you had a better chance of finding a good fit because you had most of August to figure that out. Whereas, man, you're cut on August 31st. It just feels like it's harder on everybody. Yeah, I think it's actually better for the reason we talked about that key players and starters are barely playing. You know, you see like, oh, we dread the fourth preseason game. It's like, well, they're all the fourth preseason game. Yeah. It feels like the starters when they do play is very minimal. So you need those players one, to play the game so you don't have to play key players and starters, and two, to evaluate. So since everyone's in the same boat, you know, everyone's making the same cut at the same time, so and no one's got a head start on anybody else as far as that goes. And that first cut mostly was guys you really knew weren't going to make the team. You might do somebody a favor that you thought could latch on that you knew you didn't have a spot for him. 
so I, I think this is probably the better way to do it. And it's interesting when I talked to Marty Herney, one of the first things he said, it was a question in my mind to ask. I didn't have to. He brought it up right away in terms of cutting from 90 to 53. He goes, and we're going to be ready to see who gets cut by other teams to bring in, which yeah. means, like everyone else, the Panthers are going to be very proactive looking at the waiver wire, who's released on other teams. So even if you make the 53, hold your breath for a day or two because you may not be on the Panthers' final 53 after that final cutdown. Well, that leads me to my next question. With at least, let's see, that would be at least 27 players per team times 32 teams. That's a lot of bodies out there, right? 53 plus as a maximum of 10 on the practice squad. So you're going to have a lot of guys on the unemployment line come this Saturday. At what positions do you believe the Panthers will be looking most closely at other people's cuts? Yeah, I think for them it'll be interesting to see, like, secondary, I think, is one where they could maybe add one more veteran player out there. Uh, yeah, I think at the front seven, they're pretty good in terms of what they've got at the 3-4 scheme and what they're going to be doing up there. Offensive line's been a pro- problem. So, I mean, if they can find a quality offensive lineman to plug in, they're just, again, looking for depth. Greg Little dealing with concussion protocol right now, their second-round pick. Wouldn't surprise me if they, if they don't go out there looking for a veteran offensive lineman to go in there. And, again, seeing how this Pittsburgh game goes, it's not everything, but games are evaluated differently than practices. Yeah, if Will Greer and Kyle Allen just don't look the least bit ready, you know, is there a veteran quarterback that might be released that uh, is a younger veteran guy that might be a safer play for the first month or six weeks of the season? Will Greer's got to stay on the 53 being a draft choice. Somebody will take him. But, you know, you probably could easily stick Kyle Allen on the practice squad, I don't think somebody will come get Kyle Allen and you can retain both the young quarterbacks that way because Heineke's obviously been relegated to fourth, so he doesn't look to be under consideration as being that veteran guy here. Last thing for Jim Zoki of the Panthers Radio Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Zoki, S-Z-O-K-E. Uh, I agree with you on the secondary. The, the other place that I find interesting as we look forward to Saturday's cuts, we all know how high a percentage of snaps Christian McCaffrey is out there for the Panthers at the running back position. But wouldn't it be great if at some point the sec, the number two for the Panthers, you know, at least scared defenses a little bit. What do you expect in terms of, you know, obviously McCaffrey is the starter. Alex Armagh is usually kept in that fullback type role. Mm-hmm. Who, who else has impressed? Because there's, what, four or five guys probably for only two more spots behind McCaffrey, right? Yeah, I think I think they really do like Reggie Bonifant mentioned him. He was on the practice squad last year. He's the second leading rusher in the preseason for what it's worth and the number one receiver. Started out at Louisville being a receiver, played quarterback at yep. Louisville. Of course, there was a pretty good Heisman Trophy winner came out of there, so no, no room to play that position. But Bonifant does special teams too, which you want with that 53, especially if you got to carry three quarterbacks. You maybe have to carry two kickers to start the season because Graham Gano is not right. We'll see yeah. on that. So really need these guys that could do multiple things. But you know, Bonifin has really kind of filled a lot of things. He runs the ball well. He catches the ball really well for a running back. And, again, everybody coming out of running out of school out of Georgia and Florida, like our other backups, they can all run the ball. You need guys that can block and catch and things like that. And Bonifin can do all those things. So I think they feel pretty good about him. And they had C.J. Anderson and never used him last year anyway when he was here. So I think Bonifin they probably feel pretty safe with. Cameron Artis Payne going to make this team? I think it was interesting. He didn't see the field in the third preseason game at all. Uh, so that was a really telling sign. So 
I think that's one to keep an eye on. I yeah. think he could be in trouble because of the fact that, I mean, they did not even use him in the game at all last week. Interesting. Catch Jim Zoki on the call on the radio side. He will have the play-by-play. Mike Tolbert and Kevin Donnelly will be a part of that crew. Uh, quickly, how do you tweak your call when you go from uh, Mick Mixon's partner to uh, sitting in the play-by-play chair? Oh, you know, it's, it's a, as you know, it's a full different ball game when yeah. you call in the game. So even if it is preseason, not regular season. So, yeah, it's a – it's a lot more you get to drive the car, so to speak, <laughs> instead of along for the ride. So uh, it's fun working with Mick. We've got great chemistry together, and it's fun to get this opportunity for games. And this is Mike Tolbert's first time doing this, and nice. he, he's quickly picked up on it, done a great job. Oh, that could be fun. Zoki will leave more time for Tolbert and Donnelly than Mick ever leaves for Zoki. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he harasses me every visit, so I have to harass so him in return. Your conversation with Mick the next time. He's yeah, a piece of work, man. Th- thanks for the <laughs> visit, Jim. Have fun Thursday night. All right, David. Thank you. You got it. Jim Zoki on Twitter, at Jim Zoki. Steelers at Panthers Thursday night. 16 games all Preseason week four games are on Thursday. Frankly, I'll be watching some college football and some other things. Maybe, maybe a little NFL preseason, but it is truly meaningless to most. That does not apply, of course, if you're one of those guys fighting desperately for a roster spot or maybe one of those practice squad slots. 1-800-849-2761. Lewis Bowling did write the books, plural, literally, on Alabama football and Duke football. The Blue Devils were a thing on the gridiron back in the day. I mean, like more than a half century ago, they were nationally relevant in ways that would surprise most young people. Of course, Alabama then and now among the heavyweights of the history of college football. They play each other in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon. Lewis has joined us before. He's always been a fun guest. He'll join us again in about 15 minutes as we look forward to a truly full weekend of college football. The orchestrators of that sport with their TV partners do a great job of spreading out the games because it's your last weekend with no NFL to compete against, right? You got Georgia Tech Clemson on Thursday night, among other games. Utah State at Wake Forest on Friday night, among other games. ECUNC State, Duke, Alabama, UNC, South Carolina. That one's in Charlotte. Virginia Tech, Boston College, UVA, Pitt. Those are league games. It is really rare that you see three conference games on the opening weekend of a college football season in a Power 5 league. So Georgia Tech-Clemson is one Thursday, and then Virginia Tech-BC, UVA-Pitt, two more on Saturday afternoon and evening. Florida State opens with Boise State. That's not an easy opener as Willie Taggart is under under a spotlight after missing a bowl with the Seminoles last year. He's got to deal with the best team, according to the preseason projections from the Mountain West Conference. Scott Satterfield at Louisville gets a national TV slot on Monday night, Labor Day night, as Brian Kelly and number nine Notre Dame visit the Louisville Cardinals, now led by former App State coach Scott Satterfield. That's your primetime game on ESPN. The ACC is diving in now. The ACC is the only league where every member of the conference is playing an FBS opponent in week one slash, you know, week zero with Miami taking on Florida, right? Everybody else has at least some true cupcakes. Every ACC team is either playing another ACC team or another FBS team. It makes for a nice ACC network launch, and it makes for a nice spotlight for a league that has made a lot of progress in football and has won now, remember, three of the last six national titles. Everybody remembers the two 
for Clemson under Dabo Sweeney very recently, it's easy to forget that Jimbo Fisher led Florida State to the national title before taking off for Texas A&M. Three of the last six, yes, in college football, the ACC has been the king of the hill. Clemson, preseason number one, the only likely candidate to compete for that crown this year, but it'll be fun to see who else emerges in that league, especially given that almost everybody is taking on a challenging opponent in week one or week zero. Lewis Bowling later this hour. Your phone calls on the other side. The NFL floating question of the day is besides Andrew Luck's surprise retirement, which NFL team have you changed your perspective on the most over these last 30 days or so? What's the most important thing that has happened to any team besides the Colts so far in this NFL preseason? My answer is the Chargers with Phillip Rivers needing help and losing key players on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball to injury and holdout. Your answer and more of mine, why is this college football season as a whole among the more compelling that I've seen as a guy covering such things in North Carolina for more than three decades? More of my answer to that question with more of your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Lewis Bowling's going to join us later this hour. He's written the book on Alabama football. He's written the book on Duke football. The Devils take on the tide in Atlanta on Saturday. Alabama, as usual, highly ranked number two in the preseason polls for Coach Nick Saban. It will be interesting to see Tua Tungavailoa go against what should be a really good Duke defense. If you haven't seen him, Deion Jackson is a big-time running back and return man for the Blue Devils. Fifth-year senior quarterback Quentin Harris has started, I think it's two games earlier in his career when Daniel Jones was hurt. He's the full-time starter for the Devils at QB for the first time this season as a fifth-year senior. I don't think Duke has much of a chance, but those are among the things that I'll be watching. UNC isn't expected to be great this year, but South Carolina is not expected to be great by SEC standards either. Could the MAC is back phenomenon get off on a winning note we'll see that one is also at a neutral field charlotte is the site on saturday afternoon another national tv window for acc football that one will be on espn the duke alabama game in atlanta will be on abc ecu nc state that same afternoon will be on the acc network we'll be there with the big tailgate tour if you haven't seen our 2019 schedule go to bigtailgatetour.com remember thousands of dollars worth of prizes with tailgate of the year honors at stake tailgate of the week honors comes with hundreds of dollars worth of prizes tell us where your tailgate will be on saturday morning we'll be running around the carter finley parking lots while based at backyard bistro just across the street from carter finley go to the website fill out a quick form tell us where you'll be we might show up even with the carolina hurricanes storm squad members who are often by our side as we travel the state of north carolina during college football season one 800 is your ticket into the program. A couple things I promised, and then we invite your calls. Then we'll get to Lewis 
Bowling, our fourth and final guest of the day. You can chime in on the NFL question of the day. Besides Andrew Luck's surprise retirement in Indianapolis, what was the most important thing that's happened so far to any team in the NFL so far this preseason? They are meaningless games for the most part on on Thursday night with Saturday's cuts in mind, unless you're one of those guys fighting for your professional lives. I see the Chargers as the right answer to that question. We've had some other good answers as well. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. couple of interesting twists. One, one of the most unusual careers in NBA history took another interesting turn within the last 24 hours. That is the Jeremy Lin story. How many people go from Linsanity, in his case, playing at a level that had a huge metropolis like New York out of its mind because Jeremy Lin was scoring at an all-star level at times, playing at an all-star level at times, and helping them win at an all-star level at times. Jeremy Lin also spent part of his career here in Charlotte with the Hornets. This offseason, he was actually brought to tears saying, I feel like a forgotten man in the NBA. I feel like I've done a lot. At times, I've been on, like, the cover of magazines. I've actually helped extend the international brand as a man of Asian descent, given what I've done and having not only fans here in the United States, but truly all over Asia especially. Lin Sanity was in part part backing the growth of the sport of basketball, the growth of the NBA as a league. He felt like the forgotten man. He did get his NBA championship ring, remember. He was a reserve. You didn't see him hardly at all in the playoffs with the Toronto Raptors. But when Kawhi Leonard brought Toronto that title, Jeremy Lin also picked up his first NBA championship ring. I call it one of the most unusual career arcs because almost nobody goes from that peak to mostly run-of-the-mill player for the rest of your career to forgotten man, and it's not like he's an old man at this point. The twist is that he's got tired of waiting for an NBA job. He has play, he has signed just today. He made the announcement earlier on his social media account. He will be playing in China. The Chinese Basketball Association is one of the you know half a dozen most popular leagues in the world. The Beijing Ducks have a new point guard, and his name is Jeremy Lin. In an Instagram post, he wrote that it is, quote, a privilege to rep Asians at the NBA level, and he congratulated his brother Joe on signing a contract extension with a team in the Taiwan Basketball League. They're still getting the final paperwork approved, but Jeremy Lin has chosen his next destination. He turned 31 years old last week. He spent nine years in the NBA It was 2012, where as a member of the New York Knicks, he turned the basketball world upside down. Who goes from that kind of peak to that kind of valley? And I mean, I'm not talking about a long peak. It was temporary. He was the number one topic of conversation in the entire NBA for a while. And otherwise, he's had kind of a mundane routine NBA career. An unusual career arc, a very easy guy to root for. He joined us during his time with the Hornets and otherwise. Amazing college career. He does get to continue his professional career, and he does already have an enormous fan base around Asia. Another interesting story that I wanted to follow up on. Carly Lloyd worked out with the Eagles and the Ravens recently. She actually has a Team USA soccer match this Thursday night. 
It's just an exhibition. They're still on their kind of World Cup popularity tour. They win the championship over in France, and this is sort of the, the celebration, visiting various U.S. cities, playing various international opponents. A lot of members of our North Carolina Courage on Team USA. Carly Lloyd is playing against Portugal in soccer Thursday night in an exhibition. Otherwise, she might have said yes to an invitation from an NFL team to be on an actual active NFL roster this Thursday night, in part because while working out, the Ravens happened to be visiting the Eagles earlier this month. Carly Lloyd grew up in a part of New Jersey where only because I grew up in Philly do I understand this geography. If you grow up in northern Jersey, for the most part, you adopt one of the New York teams to root for. If you grow up in South Jersey, for the most part, you're more associated with Philadelphia. You're actually closer to Philly than you are to those pro teams based in and near New York City. So Carly, where she grew up in New Jersey, she was Eagles fan through and through. And it was her honor, she called it, to visit Eagles camp. And they just started goofing around. And the next thing you know, she's making all of her 40-yard field goals. And they just say, hey, let's push it back a little bit. And she makes a 55-yarder. She tried a 57-yarder. She even switched up like she was with the Eagles holder and snapper for a little while. And then the Ravens guys are like, man, that's awesome. You want to goof around over here? So she tried a 57-yarder and was just wide left or wide right. She says... Where her trainer said she turned down an offer from an unspecified team to kick on Thursday night because of her Team USA soccer obligations. And she says she sees no reason why she or another woman couldn't become the first female player in the NFL, in particular at the kicker position. Now, I got a note on Twitter. I don't want to be sexist, but I'd be more worried about Carly Lloyd or somebody like her not kicking a field goal. I mean, the proof is there, right? She can kick it from 55 yards. That is not easy. And if she can do it against a rush, if she can prove that, there's no reason. Give her some shoulder pads and a helmet. See if she can still do it against a live rush rather than just goofing around. If you make enough progress there, who knows? Why not? The Twitter point was he'd be worried about Carly Lloyd or someone like her if there were a blocked field goal or if you had to make a tackle on a kickoff, et cetera. Well, keep in mind, I would argue, and, and Darren, you can chime in on this, representing 20-somethings and 30-somethings. I represent 40-somethings and those older than that, I guess. As a young man, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. As a young NFL fan, I would take Carly Lloyd's size, strength, power, and athleticism over most NFL kickers of the 1970s. I'm not kidding. There were lots of pudgy dudes. There were lots of unathletic dudes. There were dudes that had to stand off to the side because their coaches didn't want to see them masquerading as an actual football player capable of making an actual tackle. Seriously, these guys were in some cases barely athletic. I'm not even sure you'd use that word. You would definitely use the word athletic for Carly Lloyd if you've ever seen her. Garo Yepremian, as Bob in Chapel Hill mentioned, would lose a size-strength athleticism battle against Carly Lloyd here in 2019, Garrow being from the 1970s. Not that athletic, not at all tall, not at all strong, not at all a good runner, not at all a tackler, period. And there were a lot of examples of that. Now, more recently, I I'll give it to you. Like some of these punters and kickers, 
man, when they flex, they look like NFL players. It has changed. You don't, you don't have the stereotypical kicker who's smoking a cigar on the sidelines and barely is athletic enough to get out of his chair, but he's a specialist and he can kick a 50-yard field goal. Carly Lloyd would crush many of those kickers from yesteryear. How would she fit in today is a little bit of a trickier call, but I think if she can do all of those things objectively, there are still today other NFL kickers you don't want having to make a tackle. Now, they're not all that way, right? Sebastian Janikowski in recent years has been built like a truck, and there are some others that actually seek out contact and run downfield like a torpedo, and they're actually a nice 11th tackler that you can actually use for tactical reasons if you're the special teams coach. So I don't have that same fear. I think, I think the modern-day elite female athlete, she's proving she can kick the field goals. I think she would handle herself very capably in those other contexts as well. Would you want her to be the human torpedo running down on a kickoff coverage team? No. But I would say that about some of these dudes as well. Darren, for the record, do you know my favorite female football kicker of all time? And this is not a trick question. You know, most of the world, they use the word football for soccer. It's not a trick question. You know, it's not okay, like right. so this I'm, is I'm not... not giving you like a Mia Hamm or Christine <laughs> Lilly or, you know, Megan Rapino. You know my favorite with the courage. McCall Zerboni is my favorite. Lynn Williams, all Lynn McDonald, they're all fantastic. Uh, no, I mean an actual, what is my favorite, we'll say, American football kicker of all time. And for those who didn't know, there have been many, many females in high school football. Many. Most at kicker, but many. I mean hundreds over decades. There have been hundreds. We've even had them at the college level. And two years ago, the first... NCAA scholarship kicker as a female was signed. So all these things are changing decade by decade. We're way past that threshold at the high school level. It's changed all the way to an NCAA scholarship kicker. I think it's Division II, but that did happen two years ago. She redshirted last year, so she, she's competing for a spot this year at Adams State, a D2 football program in Colorado. So if these things are changing, we haven't gotten to that point in the NFL yet. Any idea who that favorite for me would be? Not a clue. Lucy Draper of the Fighting Armadillos of Texas State University. All right, it's a movie from the 1990s. <laughs> I thought it had to be. <laughs> Sports Illustrated. Like, Wait a minute, Texas State does exist now. Probably maybe didn't then. They're, they're the Bobcats. Texas State exists <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm getting it wrong from the movie, or maybe it, I don't know. Maybe it didn't exist then. I don't In know. In the movie, they were the fighting armadillos. I know that. <laughs> and their lovely kicker was Lucy Draper, also known in her real life as Sports Illustrated supermodel and swimsuit edition cover girl, Kathy Ireland, <laughs> who would be age-appropriate for me. I mean, the lovely and talented Maria wasn't even a part of my life at the time. Let's just say that Kathy Ireland had a special place in my upbringing as a young, red-blooded American male. And she, if I remember correctly, she was recruited. How's this for a Carly Lloyd circus sideshow? She was recruited from the Fighting Armadillos women's soccer team after impressing the football coaches during just a casual workout. Sounds Carly Lloydish, doesn't it? Well, Kathy Ireland slash Lucy Draper got signed from the women's soccer team at the then-mythical Texas State University. 
and through a driving rainstorm on a losing team, she kicked the field goal that gave a horrible team. I believe it was its first tie. You don't know Scott Bakula as Paul Blake, the overaged quarterback on this band of misfits football team in the movie Necessary Roughness? Necessary Roughness, okay. Not ringing any bells for you at all? I know of it. I I don't know that I've ever seen it. Sinbad and Jason Bateman are football players for the (laughs) fighting armadillos. I mean, that tells you probably all you need to know. Trust me, Kathy Ireland, probably the most memorable part of Necessary Roughness, but we carry on in her tradition. All these decades later, I think Carly Lloyd is right. And we're going to have an NFL kicker of the female persuasion in my career. I think it's going to happen at some point in the next decade or so. And if you roll your eyes at me, just tell me when our when my parents were growing up, women playing high school football was a roll of the eye and no way. Well, now it is. Women getting a college scholarship to be a kicker was a roll of the eye. No way ever. Now it is. Heck, you know, 20 years ago, what if I told you a black man would become the president of the United States? Do you know what percentage of America would have told me I was out of my mind? Well, I, it happened. I think it still happened, right? They haven't erased that, have they? That was eight years that actually happened. It's 2019, right? Confirmed. Every, every it's 2019. Every once in a while, every once in a while, feels like 1920. That's what I'm here for, just to, to you know confirm. The deal. It's, it is 2019, not 1920 <laughs> here in the United States of America. There are occasional red flags that suggests otherwise, sadly. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us. Lewis Bowling literally wrote the books, plural, on Alabama football and Duke football. The Blue Devils take on the number two Crimson Tide in Atlanta this Saturday afternoon. It is a national TV spotlight game on ABC. Tua Tunga-Vailoa and Nick Saban's tied against what should be a sturdy Duke defense Check that Deion Jackson guy out at running back and on special teams for the Devils. Coach Cut against Coach Saban. Y'all know that a guy named Wallace Wade played a role in the rise of both Alabama football and Duke football long ago. We'll talk about the 2019 matchup and those stories from yesteryear with author and writer Lewis Bowling next on the David Glenn Show. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in in any way. Yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. But I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Here in 2019, we think of Alabama as one of the best college football programs in the country. No doubt about it. Nick Saban, many national titles, lots of NFL players. We think of Duke football as re-energized after a half century of mostly sleepiness under this David Cutcliffe guy. They have turned things around. It will be the Blue Devils against the Crimson Tide in Atlanta on ABC on Saturday afternoon. Our next guest, Lewis Bowling has written the books on Alabama football and Duke football. He joins us now. Lewis, is it true that the legendary coach Wallace Wade actually helped put both Alabama and Duke on the college football map long ago? Oh, David, that is absolutely true. Uh, Wallace Wade was hired to coach at Alabama in uh, 1923. And when he stopped coaching in Alabama by 1930, 
Uh, he had won the first three national championships in Alabama football history. And, of course, he, he came to Duke for the 1931 season. And many many of your fans out there will, will know this, but he took Duke to two Rose Bowls uh, during his tenure at Duke. Yep. And they actually had – the Duke had – this will surprise many of you fans. Duke had the best overall record in the nation in the 1930s for that decade. Wow. Uh, overall record. They, exactly. Uh, that is – they were Duke was once a football powerhouse. I know you uh, have written about uh, David Cutcliffe's unique place in this rivalry game. We know and talk to him frequently that he's an Alabama graduate. Uh, you wrote about this recently. What have you taken from Coach Cut about this matchup's place uh, in his life as Duke's football coach? Well, uh, as you say, being a graduate of Alabama. He was there during the time of, of Bear Bryant, and he studied football under Bear Bryant, and he, Coach Cutt, still reveres uh, Coach Bryant to this day. And and also, I'll tell you a little short story. Um, that Coach Cutcliffe um, keeps a bust of Wallace Wade in his office, mm. and uh, sometimes he told me in a recent interview that he'll, late at night when he just has the lamp on, He'll look over at that bust of Wallace Wade, and and uh, he'll swear that Coach Wade is talking to him. And <laughs> Coach Cut said it makes the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. <laughs> but he he really reveres both both Coach Wade and uh, Bear Bryant, and and has a a real respect for Coach Saban of Alabama. They they're old rivals when Coach Cut was head coach at Mississippi, and. Uh, Coach Saban was at LSU. They they went head to head many times. Uh, he has the utmost respect for Coach Saban and what he's done at Alabama. Lewis Bowling is joining us on the David Glenn Show. He never asks me to mention this, but I admire him as an author, so I will. Among his books are Duke and Alabama Football Tales: More Than a Century of Crimson Tide Glory and Wallace Wade championship years at Alabama and Duke. Whenever somebody who's younger uh, than I, Lewis, says, wait a minute, Duke was good in football, sometimes I'll just say this. You've heard of Cameron Indoor Stadium and you've heard of Wallace Wade Stadium. Go do some research on those two people, right? Duke's basketball <laughs> arena is named for Eddie Cameron, a former football and basketball coach. And, of course, Wallace Wade's been memorialized. His name is still on Duke's football stadium. So uh, what about the Eddie Cameron part of this picture? I, I, I don't know of a lot of examples of a single person being a basketball coach and a football coach at the same school, but uh, his legacy is lasting as well. It, it sure is. Uh, most people think of Eddie Cameron and associate his name with basketball, and, and probably rightly so. But uh, Coach Wade resigned uh, from his Duke football job in 1941 to go into service in World War II. He was 50 years old. And so um, he handed, handed the keys over to uh, Eddie Cameron, and, and Coach Cameron coached Duke football during World War II. Two, from uh, 1942 to 1945, and had a great record. Took 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 Duke to the 1945 Sugar Bowl, and of all people, they played Alabama, and Duke won that 45 Sugar Bowl, 29 to 26. And another thing that people will enjoy about Coach Cameron's football coaching days was that 
Um, he's coached Duke for four years, but he played Carolina five times in that time, and 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 never never lost to UNC. Uh, played <laughs> played UNC twice in one year. I think it was 1943. That's why they played five times in four years, but unbeaten against UNC. So uh, he was Coach Cameron was not only a very good basketball coach at Duke, but really uh, did a great job filling in for Coach Wade in football. And of course, he served for many years as athletic director at Duke. Yeah, th- those sorts of facts are not considered trivia around here. Just ask a Carolina fan who talks about Tyler Hansbrough's personal record in basketball at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Those undefeated records tend to be talked about forever. Uh, I only have about a minute or so, but what's the best way to summarize the passion and resources behind Alabama football? Because if you looked back decades ago, Alabama was often a national champion, but other schools that we no longer hear about were in that mix. And now fast forward, you know, not quite 100 years, and there's still Alabama, even as so many others have kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Well, just very shortly, I, I, Alabama simply, I, it's hard to debate it, has the greatest football tradition in in the country, yeah. 17 national titles. And I'll give you a, just one quick thing here about what Coach Saban has done. It'll, it'll really, um, if you think about this, his record at Alabama in the last 11 seasons is one won 139 and lost 14 with five five national titles. It's, wow. it's probably David the the greatest run in college football history. I know that could be debated, but sure. many would many would say that these last 11 years what they've done. Well, given how many schools are trying really hard with lots of resources, especially in this current era of college football, that may be one of the greatest runs in the history of college sports as a whole, uh, you know, I, not I, just I, college football. Exactly. I would definitely – it's just phenomenal. And um, it's just, uh, you know, Duke is going to obviously have their hands full Saturday in Atlanta, <laughs> to say the least. Lewis Bowling is but, joining us. He also teaches in the NC Central Kinesiology Department. I'm, I could barely spell that word. He teaches <laughs> that kind of class. Hey, thanks for the visit. It's always good to hear your voice. We appreciate your expertise and your time here on the David Glenn Show. Uh, thank you, David. You have a great show. Thank you very much. Lewis Bowling, author and writer and literally wrote the books on Alabama football and Duke football. Yes, there's a lot of history to both of those if you're willing to go far enough into the archives. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the come. Special thanks to Martin Jarman of Boston College, Will Brinson of CBS, Jim Zoki of the Carolina Panthers, Lewis Bowling on Duke, Alabama, and other things. Appreciate Kathy Ireland, Lucy Draper, and Rob Gronkowski for their unique contributions to today's programs at today's program as well. TV picks tonight led by some Major League Baseball, Cubs, Mets, Rangers, Angels, and otherwise. There's a WNBA game on, and there is the U.S. Open. In primetime, Rafael Nadal will be playing for the first time in this year's event. Last night, it was Serena Williams mopping the floor 
with Maria Sharapova. And yes, it was personal. Enjoy the games. We hope you're right back with us tomorrow, noon to three, on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina. love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.